Miss Laura, are you ready for your kids? All the kids that wants to go to kids class, come on up. We'll be in the back, and Miss Laura is going to be your teacher today, so come on and, and get ready with that. And As you can see on the Berean chapters, if, if you're not familiar with that, the, the Bereans were, were noble. Paul told him, said, you, you were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica because you searched the scriptures daily, making sure that everything I was teaching you was correct and true. And so the Bereans were noted for their study and for their learning. And so what we do is we put the chapters up that are going along with the lesson each time so that you can go home and look at them through the week and, and to check everything out, but it also provides a little more faith and a, and a little deeper understanding of what we're talking about. And so if you want to take a picture of it or write them down and then, and then follow through with that through the week, it provides a great blessing to each of us. And we do have the Wednesday night Bible study that we was talking about at 7, and the, the Thursday we have ladies Bible journaling, and this has got to come off. I, I feel strapped. Country boy feels strapped. We've got a, a renewal of vows of Ken and Susie after services, and, and they, they wanted uh, me to, to look like a preacher. <laughs> Most of the time I'm in camo, and Miss T back there says the, the camo actually works because when I walk around, she can't follow me. It blends in. So I told her, I said, at least for today... They've put lipstick on the pig, and you'll be able to see me while I'm walking around up here, okay? But anyway, if you would, another thing that we do is we, we pray before we go to the Word of God because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians that the Word of God is spiritual, and it can only be understood by a spiritual understanding person who has the Spirit of God. It says that the world cannot understand it because it is spiritual. And a carnal man cannot understand it for it is spiritual. In fact, it would be foolishness to them. So what we do is we prepare our hearts and minds each time for the reception of the word of God. So that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand and make known the things that we are studying. So take a moment to cleanse yourself as we did before we prayed to God on behalf of Dale. And we, we cleanse ourselves, and we prepare our heart and our mind and we ask God to then give us that spirit of discernment that goes through it. So we take that moment and then I'll close us out and we'll begin in the word of God. Fathers, we again turn to you in prayer. We, we, we're so thankful that you're God who wants to be in the midst of your people. That was your whole hope all along was to be in the midst of us. From the garden, you wanted to be in the midst of us. When you led them out of Egypt and they went and stood before Mount Sinai, you wanted to be in the midst of them. 
And here today, you still want to be in the midst of your people, those who love you and who seek you. And Father, I don't know of any, anything that is more sweeter than to know that you desire us and to be in our presence. I can't imagine. So Father, we, we pray that the worship and the praise that we do this day honors you and exalts you as the God of the universe. We pray at this time, Father, that we are cleansed. We pray that your Holy Spirit is dwelling and has full reign within us and that we will be able to understand these things that you have written, for they were acted out sometimes thousands of years ago, but you knew that we would be studying them today for our learning, for our understanding, so that we can serve you and glorify you better. And we're so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, and that gift that you gave of him so that we can even have the opportunity to be the power, as it says in John 1. You gave through him the power for us to become sons of God. What a privilege. Thank you, Father. May we glorify you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you ready for the word of God? Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua chapter 7. That's where we're going <clears> to <throat> start out this morning in Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to ask you, as you're turning there, who was your favorite detective? Who was your favorite detective or someone who could really get to the bottom of things? Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. That's a good one. Who else? Huh? I can't he Say it out loud if you got one. Spencer Reed. Okay, that's a, that's a new one for me. Oh, Criminal Mind. Okay. I, I gave up TV about six years ago, so I... I haven't watched that one, but I think my daughter has. Um, anyone else? Matlock. I'll tell you, yeah, Gerald. There's my guy right there. That's, that's, who's, that's who's on my list of, of a reminder of how to start this thing out. Perry Mason. I loved Perry Mason. I loved how he went and went through it and through it. And the whole time you're thinking, could it be this one? Could it be this one? But he was drilling down to the proper one. And I think it, there might have been one that was a, something that didn't come out right. But I'm pretty sure that almost every episode he got down to the bottom of things, didn't he? And, and he revealed the truth of, of who it was and who did what. And they ended up usually on the witness stand and having to confess that, that yes, it was, it was me and it was this and that. I'll give you one little blip, that I, the, the one that I remember from Perry Mason that I don't know why these kind of things stick in my head forever, but it was, uh, you remember that, that other guy that, that worked with him that would, was a little taller and like a blondish hair guy, and uh, there was one time he was talking with him with Perry Mason and uh, with another guy that they was investigating, and they asked him, said, is your name George Elliott? And he's like, yeah. And he says, well, then who else could it have been that had been there because uh, GE was on the briefcase? And he said, General Electric. You know, it could have been that. I don't know why that stuck out to me, but that it, General Electric, GE. So I've always thought about that when I think of Perry Mason, too. But he always got to the bottom of things. And, you know, there's been several weeks that we've went through Joshua 
And we saw the gospel being preached when, when they was marching around the walls. That was the gospel being preached. One last chance for these folks to repent. That that's what that ark represented. And that's what the, and when they, when they got Rahab the first time when they went to go spy out the land. She said we know that God has given this to you. Because we've heard everything that has happened. We heard what happened in Egypt. We heard about the Red Sea parting. We saw that for 40 years God took care of you in a desert. So that was the gospel being preached by the power of God to these folks. And then for seven more days as they circled with the ark of God and the trumpets declaring freedom and liberty in the land. They still didn't repent while the gospel was being preached. But we have saw some amazing things. But every once in a while, you have to have a lesson that grounds us, don't it? That we, we've got to learn from to keep us in check so that we don't just get too confident and get out of hand. Because that's what happened to him. We saw last week, it was what? The defeated AI. Jericho was a huge city. It had great walls around it. It was impenetrable. It was supposed to be the strongest place, but God said, I'm going to take the strongest one and make it my first fruits. And I'm going to show you that by taking the strongest first that we got the rest of them. And so they did, and the walls fell, and they took the land. But God had made a warning to them. You don't take of the things that's inside of there. They are carom, which was a word that means accursed things. And he said, everything is dedicated to me. In this city is first fruits. Don't you take any of it. Because it is carom. And somebody took it. And then they went into the next uh, site. Which was at Ai. And Ai they sent a couple of, of messengers out. To seek out the land. And they came back. And you remember what they told them? <clears throat> they said. That's right. It's going to be a piece of cake isn't it? I love. Ray gets it man. I love it whenever he provides me the feedback because that's what I'm searching from you. Yes. Amen. I am proud of your grandma. I am proud of your grandma. Ray said the thing. Those two men came back and said, it's a piece of cake. You know what? We used everybody uh, out there at, at Jericho and stuff. But here, we only need like two, 3,000. They're small. We can go in. They're not a walled city as big as what Jericho is. Don't trouble everyone to go in and take the land. Just use a few of us. Don't wear us out. Now, in the first battle, you remember, Joshua sought the advice of the Lord, didn't he? And the Lord told him what to do with this crazy thing of circling the city one time a day for six days and then seven times on that seventh day. And I'm like, that would not be my battle plan. But the Lord did because he gets the glory. And he said, this is what it's going to take for the walls to come down and you are going to take the city. So now these recon team, the reconnaissance folks of the military that goes out and searches out, AI comes back and says, it's a piece of cake. And you're not going to have to worry with all of us. Let us have a break and just take a few. Joshua forgets something. What did he forget? Yeah, he forgot to go to God with it, didn't he? Because you see, our marching orders should come from God and not from my friends, my family. I mean, we can take advice, but we have to take those things. These are privates coming to the general and saying, here's how you're, 
how you're going into battle should be. And he takes the advice of these privates that come back in and he doesn't go to God like he did the first time. And they come back defeated. And whenever they come back defeated, he's in, in the first part that we saw last week in Joshua 7, he's, he's stripping his clothes. He and the elders go pray before the ark and they're like, God, why did this happen? I mean, you promised that, that you was going before us and that all of these cities was going to fall. And we, we got a little overconfident in the first one and we started relying on self and not on you. That's why we got to come back and get grounded, you see. They had a defeated AI because they got a little overconfident in the way things were going and how good it was. And they forgot to go back to God and seek him out and to, to, to rely upon his leading for them. And so they had a defeat that set him back. And now he's asking why. And he says, because you've got somebody has taken something that didn't belong to him. I told you. Not to take anything from Jericho because it was accursed. And if you took of the accursed things, that you would also become accursed through that. And you have become accursed. And God told Joshua, I am no longer with you. I am no longer fighting for you. And I will not until you remove the accursed thing from your presence. You see, sometimes I don't want that to happen to any one of us. So what we got to do is look at the lesson of AI and the lesson of what we're going to have today to know the proper way to handle ourselves and to go to God and check everything through his word so that we don't end up with a defeat and so that we don't end up in trouble and we don't have to be asking God what happened, right? So we need this sometimes. We need a word of warning and preparation just to keep us grounded and not getting overconfident, not forgetting about God and his work in our life, right? So, uh, Matthew twenty-five forty-one, it says this, because see, everything that is carom or accursed has to be destroyed. And Jesus is giving a picture here of like a final judgment scene. And he said to those on the left, this is where there was the ones on the right and the ones on the left. And he's saying to the ones on the right, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I, I needed clothes and you give it to me. He's, and they said, when did we see you in that situation, Lord? And he said, as much as you've done it to the least of any one of these, you've done it unto me. But then he looked at the ones on the left and he said, I was hungry and you refused to feed me. I was thirsty and you wouldn't give me drink. I, I needed clothing and you just bid me go. And they said, when did we see you? And he said, the same thing. You didn't do it to any one of these. If you'd have done it, it was as unto me. And then he says to those that are on the left, depart from me, you what? We've studied for the last two or three weeks how that... Sin came into the world in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. And with sin came a curse. And the curse of sin is death. But thanks be to God that the removal of the curse is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he gave us Christ who knew no sin but bore our sin on the tree. It says anyone who hung upon the tree was cursed. He took the curse away, it says, and he nailed it 
to the cross so that we don't have to bear it. But we've got a choice in life. If you choose for Jesus Christ and to live for him, you don't have the curse or its punishment. If you do not choose for the Lord in this life, the curse falls upon you. And that's the definition he's given here. That cursed are you. Go carom like what is Jericho. Into everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. None of us wants that for any one of us. Our loved ones or our friends do we? So that's why we have to take these messages to them. And we have to bring them here so that they listen. So that they, they know this. And that they don't end up. One day, unaware that you're going to be facing this. And there's only one question. What did you think of Christ in this life? So, And that's what's being played out before us in Jericho and AI. And in all of this thing that's going on in the land. So everything about Jericho and AI is about salvation. You remember who got um, saved out of Jericho? Rahab. Because she said, I believe in your God. And he is going to come and give you this land. But can you save me? And he says, because you have faith. You hang that scarlet cord out the window. And you and your family, whoever is in your house, will be saved and be spared from that. But everyone who's not, and if, and if they go into the streets, or if they don't listen to your advice and follow the way of the Lord, then then they will be in the streets and they will become Karim too. And we're not responsible for that. So everything about this is a spiritual message. Know that everything in the Old Testament, that everything is there as a picture that is being played out that is really a spiritual truth before us. And we have to figure out exactly what that is. So chapter 7, when, when, when we opened it last week and we read verse 1, chapter 7 said, but Israel had partaken, someone had taken of the cursed thing. And then it talks about that his name was Achan, who was the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, who was of the tribe of Judah. You're going to find out today why it started with that lineage, because we're going to find out how important that is. You think Perry Mason was a great detective? Guess who's the greatest? God. God's a great detective in it. And I, I want to share with you this day one of the ways that God gave to the people a way to get to the bottom of things, a detective way to go about doing business to reveal truth and light to them so that there is no mistake on who done it and you can't do nothing but give glory to God and make confession for what happened. That's what I want to share with you today as we go through this. How did God get to the bottom of seeing who it was, and letting the people know who it was that had committed this carom thing that was in the camp. So Joshua, we left off last week, he was asking, Lord, why is this happening to me? Just like we do whenever we have a defeat and a failure, don't we? When things happen, that's, that's what we do. Why is this happening to me? What's going on? Lord, would you please reveal to me so I can know, I can try to fix it, so I can understand because I don't understand what it is. So that's when the doubts, we, we need God's advice, and so that's what we're getting ready for now. And he, God tells him, get up. He tells him and the elders, get up. Uh, I'll, I'll share it with you, but get up off your faces. You've been praying to me. Uh, something needs to change. 
there was a test I gave you, and they didn't pass the test. So if you're there with me in Joshua 7, let's begin in verse 10, and we're going to start with the new stuff. And it says, Get up, Joshua, why are you lying on your face? Israel has sinned. Now, I want you to think about that as we get ready to dig into this. One man did something. His family ends up agreeing, evidently, to having it in the tent. Because you can't bring all of this stuff in and your family not seeing you the way they lived. And digging up a hole and burying the stuff in your tent. So evidently, they agreed to allow this to go on too. And that's why they're going to be in the middle of this thing. And then, but it also went to the entire nation. So one person's action can not only affect you or your loved ones, but also the entire body of, of Christ it can affect. So Israel has sinned. I thought it was just one man, Achan. No, Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant that was with them, that I commanded them, for they have taken of those accursed things. And they have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their stone stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel, that's why you could not stand against the piece of cake, Ai, that was before you, but you turned your backs and ran before your enemies because they have been doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore. Boy, that's a sobering thought. Unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Get up. Sanctify the people. That means get them set apart and get them ready. That's what we did whenever we got ready for this lesson, wasn't it? We sanctified ourselves and we got ready to receive what it was. He said, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So in the morning, therefore, you will be brought forth before me according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord, now I want you to see all the way through this, that it's the Lord that they're before. It's the Lord who's going to be granting a decision because this is important. He says, but in, the tribes will come before the Lord, and the one which the Lord takes shall come according to their families. All the rest of them will be excused. And then the families will come before the Lord, and he will take them by households. And the households which come before the Lord and the Lord takes, then you will go down to man by man. The Lord is going to get to the bottom of it going through the entire thing. And he's got it sectioned off exactly and prepared how he's going to do it. And then verse 15. It shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing will be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Well, <clears throat> boy, that's some stuff, isn't it? I mean, when God talks to you like that, you better listen up. So he's getting ready. He gave him some instructions on what he wants to do. So he finally now has sought the Lord's advice, and the Lord's going to give him the advice. Israel transgressed my covenant. They've done what's shameful. They've got it inside of them. Now they are carim. You until you get rid of the accursed thing, I am no longer with you or fighting for you. So get up. If you want my presence back with you, sanctify yourselves. This is why I constantly share with you one of my favorite scriptures. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 9. God says, I know that you sin. If you try to tell me that you don't sin, I'm going to call you a liar because you all do. I made you and I know it and you all do. And I'm the chiefest one, I will admit. But he says, if all you do is confess your faults before me, I am faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is a precious promise from God. All he asks, he said, I already paid for the curse of that. My son took it. It's not double jeopardy. But you will bear it unless you confess it to me and ask for that forgiveness through him. That's all you have to do. How many times do we let it build up and we don't do that? Saul of Tarsus did. I mean, not Saul of Tarsus, but King Saul did that back before David's time. And then when David was there and it ends up he died because he had never repented of those things. Achan has not repented. Achan continues to hide instead of confess and bring to the open. When they failed... If he would have come forward and said, I know why we failed. It's because I took of the accursed things. If, if that would have happened, then, then his family would have been spared. The, the whole battle would have been spared and the loss of life. But he refused to do that. If we keep hiding the sins, and if we keep burying them thinking no one's going to know, behold, it says in Numbers, in uh, chapter 32 and verse 23, Lord says, because they had made a promise to the Lord, and the Lord told them, if you don't do what you've told me, if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So if I have to, to give anything as the basis of the foundation of this message for today is this scripture right here. We can't hide it. We can't bury it. Behold, your sins will find you out. So isn't it best to just come on up and confess it up front first and ask for that forgiveness with God? You don't have to go to any other men or any of those things to be forgiven. It's only between you and God. Everything that David done in his life and the people that, that was injured because of him, in Psalms he says, Lord, it was against you and you only that I have sinned. That is where your sin lies, and that is where your forgiveness comes from. You don't have to go to a bunch of other people and bow before them and ask for that, no. Now, if you need to make a rectification with a person because you think you've harmed them, that's to say, I'm sorry. And if they want to be involved with that, but the real forgiveness comes through God. And if they refuse to forgive you, don't worry about it, because God has. Because people don't have the character of God. To be able to forgive. But anyway I digress. Behold your sins will find you out. So don't bury them. So now back to Joshua 14. It says in the morning. You're going to start this process. I'm going to give you. And we're going to start with the 12 tribes. And we'll move on from there. And notice that the scripture says. The tribe which the Lord takes. The Lord is going to take a tribe. He's going to be involved in the decision that's made. Not anyone else, it's the Lord's decision that's going to be made on the tribe. We've got a way of handling things. You know, we still do. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14 on our Berean chapters, if you'll read that, verse 23 or 33 says, 
that God is not an author of confusion or chaos, but a God of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So, we're not supposed to have chaos, confusion, anger. We're not supposed to have all kinds of things running through it. We're supposed to have peace, and God is a God of peace and not of chaos. So, he's got a proper way of doing things, an orderly way. Because seven verses later, he's, they're warned, let all things be done decently. And in order, we're not supposed to get out of hand with the way of God and let our emotions run amok. We're supposed to stay grounded through him. We should always do our business in the proper way. And God has a proper way of handling the business here because things in a whole, in a whole group of a couple million people can get out of hand pretty quick and sides drawn and, and things go haywire, can't it? So God says, let it be done decently in order and you follow my word and my way in the way that we do these things and you'll be all right. How many people here have heard of the breastplate of judgment and Urim and Thummim? Thummim. You heard of that? Urim and Thummim and the breastplate of judgment. Good, because that's what we're going to talk. Here's, here's how one of the ways that God gave them to be Perry Mason and get to the bottom of everything the proper way and just as Perry Mason would weed out who it was by going through and asking questions and doing his detective work. God's going to do the same thing, and he's provided a way of doing that. So if you would, hold your place here, and let's go to Exodus chapter 28, if you want to follow along. In Exodus 28, a great chapter in the Word of God. And it says there that God was now making the priesthood, and that it was Aaron and his sons that was going to start the priesthood, and the and Aaron would be the high priest. And God said, I want you to make a, a, a covering for him. I want you to make an outfit for him. That is, now I want you to look here at verse 2 because it's going to become important. You shall make a holy garment for Aaron, your brother. And it's for what? What is this garment for? Glory and beauty. So it's to be beautiful because God wants us to, to be represented in a great way before him. And it's also because of his glory. He wants to be glorified through us and the things that we do. So he says, I want it to be for glory and, and, and for beauty. And so then, after that, verse 4. Here's what you're going to make for him in this garment that's beautiful and for my glory. I want a breastplate it's, and an ephod and a robe, and a skillfully woven tunic, and a turban, and a sash, and these will be the holy garments for Aaron to minister unto me as a priest. Do you know that we're all priests before God? We're told several times in the scripture in Peter and in Revelation that we are a kingdom of priests unto God. You and I are kings and priests because of our relationship through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we are to represent him well as well. And it says here that these garments, there's the breastplate, there is an ephod. The, I'll explain all of these in a moment. A skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And on that turban, the turban that the high priest is going to wear, go ahead and give me that, that next one, Miss T. Give me another one. Yeah, I'm just going to skip. It's my fault. It's always my fault. I'm just going to skip. Here's... Here's a, a replication of, of what was made because in that whole chapter that we was going to read right there, it would say, I want you to take these types of colors of this type of material 
And I want you to skillfully weave these things. And that turban that he's going to have on up there, it's got the gold around it and it's ensigned with something. You know what you wear before God whenever, whenever you've got, you come before him as a priest in our prayers? You know what, whenever Aaron or the other high priests would go in before God, you know what that says across the top of that? Holy unto God. Whenever we go, we are holy unto God whenever we go in there before his presence. And then it talked about making these things. It was the royal blues and purples and reds that is in the, the, the first garment that looks like a vest. That's the, that's the ephod. That's the ephod. And attached to the ephod was the breastplate of righteousness and light, of judgment. Upon that, it says, I want you to put 12 stones. And on those 12 stones, and we... If we had read through it, it would have said, I wanted the first stone. You're going to make them three across and four down. Four rows of three for the twelve tribes of Israel. And the sardius stone and the jasper stone and the amethyst and the diamond and the jacinth. And, and he listed all of the stones in the different colors, each according to the tribe. Every tribe had a color. They had a banner. They had a standard. And then he says, the artists that I have given the spirit of artistic design to, I want them to engrave upon each one of those stones that represents that particular tribe. I want you to put their name on the stone. And on each one of those stones, what you see written there and engraved in gold and set in gold settings is the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it says that this is called the breastplate of judgment. And he would go in before them bearing over his heart the 12 tribes of Israel whenever he would go in before the Lord and to pray. He would go in with, with the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord. And the names of those stones are in there. Go backwards to where I was supposed to be reading so that things will make sense in a minute. Yeah. So you're going to take... These garments, the breastplate, the ephod, the woven tunic, the turban, the sash, they will make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, that they can minister to me. You will take two onyx stones. Those are on the shoulders, one on each shoulder. You will engrave on those two stones the name of the sons of Israel. Six on one stone, six on the other stone in the order of their birth. With the work of the engraver, the ones with the engravings of a signet, you will engrave on those stones the names of the Son of Israel. You will set them in the settings of gold. You will put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod, that vest-like thing. They are memorial stones for the sons of Israel. And Aaron will bear their names before the Lord on his shoulder as a memorial to God. You shall then make settings of gold. And the two chains that hold it and the braided cords that fasten that into the settings. Go ahead to the next one. And then you will take the breastplate of judgment. Now we're getting somewhere. That one that had the 12 stones upon it. You'd always heard called the high priest's breastplate, right? Well, God said it's the breastplate of judgment. Why? Because when I need it to be, it's part of how I become Perry Mason. Or how Perry Mason reflects after me. This is the breastplate of judgment. 
It's going to be artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. And you're going to make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet threads and fine woven linen. And you're going to make it in such a span. And then you're going to double it up so that it's a square doubled. So that it makes like a pouch on the inside of it whenever you hook that together. And you're going to put the settings of stones in it. Four rows. The first row will be the sardius, the topaz, and the emerald. The second row, the turquoise, the sapphire, and the diamond. The third row, the jacinth, the agate, and the amethyst. The fourth row, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper. You set them in gold settings, and the stones will have the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve stones according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. And thus shall Aaron bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment before the Lord over his heart when he goes into the holy places of memorial. And you shall put behind that breastplate, so in, in that pouch in between that's folded over now, and you got the twelve gold stones on the outside with the names of the tribes of Israel behind that, you are going to place behind the blessed plate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And you will put it there and it will be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. And so Aaron will bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now go to that next one. Now that we've, we've got a little bit of understanding for both. There is that garment and the skillfully woven tunic, the white. The ephod is the purple. You've got on the shoulders on each side one stone. That one has six names, the other has six names. He bears on his shoulders in his strength before God. It's God's strength for the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the golden chain attaches that to the breastplate of judgment of the 12 tribes to that ephod over the heart of him. And each name is written there, and, then we, and it's cast in gold. And then we go to the next one, and, and there's those names upon that. But behind that, in that pouch, is the Urim and the Thummim. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God said, Let there be Ur, and there was Ur. You thought it was light, didn't you? God's word says it was Ur. He said, Let there be Ur. So Urim... I am is plural ending, so it's the plural for lights. So put the lights behind that. And then the thumim, and the thumim means truth. So you put the lights of truth behind that. People's tried to figure out what they were. Every artist rendition nowadays, the most common accepted one is two stones. A white stone and a black stone, because all throughout Later times, as the judgments would come, you would cast your stones in a bottle. Uh, if you're on a judge and jury, like now, they go in and they deliberate, and you just raise your hand on yeas and nays. Well, there, they would pass a little jar, and you would have a black stone and a white stone, and if, you're, if your answer was nay or guilty, the black stone would go in. If it was innocent or yes, it, it's a white stone that would go in, and... and that's become the accepted thing. I don't know what the Urim and Thummim was, and no one knows for sure. But all I know is that the words mean that you're going to place behind that breastplate of judgment and those 12 stones the lights and the truth. I am the way. 
the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ as the righteous judge is in there so that righteousness, truth, and light comes forward so that no one is going to be able to argue and say, no, it wasn't me. Because the Lord is going to take the tribes out. And he's going to get to the bottom of who it was. And so Joshua now, the Lord has told him, bring the people before me. Well, how do I even come to think that this is what they're talking about? Well, give me the next slide. Let's see what I got up here. Okay, this is when um, Moses was getting ready to pass on and Aaron is already and Eliezer, his son, is now the priest. And Moses is about ready to go across and he said, he spoke to the Lord and he said, Lord God, would you choose from among us who it's going to be to lead us? I don't want your people to be like, a, like sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to tell them to go in and to come out. They need a leader. We can't be left to our own ways or we will just dispel everywhere. There needs to be a leader. He said, here's what you do, Joshua, verse 18. Or Moses, get Joshua. He's your man. He's the one that I have chosen, the son of none. He's a young man in whom the Spirit of God is. And you take him and you lay your hands on him. And you set him before Eliezer. You're going to call Eliezer, the high priest, in. And all the congregation. And you're going to inaugurate him as the new leader in the sight. And you're going to give your, your authority to him. And the congregation of Israel is going to be obedient unto him. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who will inquire before the Lord for him by what? Judgment of what? Urim and Thummim. So here you go. Joshua was inaugurated this way. They know from when God gave it to him what it was for. We've got the lights and the truth. And whenever you bring Joshua and you go to lay your hands on him as the leader that's going to succeed me, the lights of the Urim and Thummim that's on the high priest is going to show up with a yes. And you will know that it, he is the man because I am going to affirm that in front of everyone. I am giving the commission to him. And you are just doing it through him on yourself in my presence by my word. And so it says Moses did all that the Lord commanded him. And they brought Joshua and Eliezer to the front. And the, the vest lit up and he was inaugurated and anointed as the new leader. Now, we go to the next slide. And it, here's David. Years later, we got David coming up. They had, they're out in the field. He and his mighty men, they're doing a battle, but they, they're on the run. So they're camped out by Ziklag. These men come up, the Amorites. If you remember back in the fall last year, we talked about the pesky Amorites when when Moses had to try to raise his hand up and it kept falling. And we said that those Amorites never give up. They're going to be a thorn in your flesh all the way through there because they represent the devil. And every time, I don't care if you win a victory, he's going to come back. Whenever he tempted Jesus, it says that he left, but he was waiting for an easier time to come back, a more convenient time to attack him again. These Amorites keep coming back. So David and his men have been out. They come back to their city and they find that all of their women and children and the elderly have been taken away and the city smoldering there where their camp was. And all of them start breaking down and they're weeping and they're wondering what's happened to everything. And then 
that first thing gives over to anger. And then we got to have someone to blame, don't we? So we're going to blame David. It's all his fault for having us out here and for doing all this. So it's all David's fault. And so they're getting ready to kill him. And, and they, they wanted to take him up. And so David, I, I like what it says there in verse 6 at the last. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He, 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 he had been mourning for a second, but now he's pulling himself up. And he's getting strengthened through the word of God. And look what it says he does. He was distressed. They wanted to stone him. But he strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he called for Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son. And if you know the story behind that, I taught it in like the third week I was here. A man named Dog. We'll redo it again. But a man named Dog tells the story about how Ahimelech and almost all of the priests died except for Abiathar because of a mistake that David did. Abiathar was the only priest that was left. And now he's with David. And he's, David says, Abiathar, please bring me the ephod of God. That, that high press, priest dress, dress in it. Bring your ephod, your covering, and the breastplate of righteousness. You bring the ephod to me so that I can inquire of the Lord. And they inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop and shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him by saying, Pursue and you will surely overtake them. You will recover everyone and everything and you will not fail. Now how does God do that? He knows everything, right? And he's got to explain it to us sometime and show it to us so that we can believe it. So what he does... What's behind the stones? Urim and Thummim. What does Ur mean? Lights. So, whenever David or Joshua, in our case, gets ready to ask God and put the people before God to drill down to who the problem is, each question, the light comes on. So look how ingenious God is on getting to the bottom of things. Because now what's going to happen, God said, get yourself up tomorrow, sanctify yourselves, and you're going to start with your tribes. Well, who's the 12 stones that's on the breastplate of righteousness and judgment? Hmm? It's the 12 tribes, isn't it? So guess what? Whenever the 12 men who are the leaders of the 12 tribes, the representatives of the whole, we've got to narrow it down somehow quick. So the first thing we're going to do is bring the 12 up. Bring the priest out with a, high, with a ephod. Okay, light kicks on under the stone of Judah. So it says Judah was found to be the tribe, chosen and taken by the Lord. So now we know how. So he was taken by the Lord, and Judah is set aside, everyone else dismissed. And then it says you start going by each one of the different sections under that. You're going to get to Zabdi and to the, the Zarhites first and Zabdi and then all the way down to Carmine. So what happens is the sons of Judah now. Judah had some sons and then his sons had sons. So the lineage of that section of sons. Okay, you've got Urim and Thummim. A yes and a no. 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 Yes. The lights light up on the yes of the Urim and Thummim for the, for the household, the the ones that come from that one. So everyone else is dismissed. And now you have all the lineage of this one. And so now it starts going from all of those sons. Is it through the lineage of this one? No. Is it through the lineage of this one? No. And all of a sudden it comes down, yes. 
And so when it gets down to, to yes to the last one of the sons of that one, now you've got maybe four or five sons of that one guy. And he says, then you bring them up man by man. And so now man by man, it comes up and it came to Achan. And now you know why our story started out and why it ends in here with it was Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of, of Zabdi, the son of, and it goes all the way back to of the tribe of Judah. Is that not the greatest detective work that you've ever seen? But it also removes all doubts. There is, there is no way to escape because God has made the decision and God, through the breastplate of judgment, shows you exact truth through light, what is going on. And so now you, you have this going on, and i got to figure out where I've went to. I, I like to do that all the time. So now they've come in the morning, and they've got all the way down through here, and they go through the Tsar Heights, all the way down to Zabdi was taken by the Lord, and the other families, and then Carmi, and the sons of Carmi, and it came down to Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judy was taken and the breastplate of judgment and truth and light was revealed now verse 19 Joshua says to Achan my son I beg you give glory to God what was that breastplate for you remember that back in Deuteronomy 28 it was for glory to God wasn't it and beauty it was for beauty and to the glory of God so now God's glory and his revelation through that has been made known and he says son I beg you it's time, fess up, get, and give glory to God because he is the one who has said this is happening. So give him the glory in this thing and, and tell us what happened. So he says in verse 20, Achan answered Joshua, indeed, it was me. And indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done, verse 21, when I saw... I'm going to start getting technical with you here for a minute because, again, this is for our learning, right? And this is for our warning so that we don't do the same things that Achan does, right? So I want to take you into the New Testament for a minute. I'm going to tell you what mistakes he made so that we don't make that mistake. First thing he says, when I saw, last week I introduced this to you, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, all that is in the world, you remember what was in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that is in the world are these things, and they are not of the Father, but of the Word. Achan says, when I saw, lust of the eyes. I saw among the spoils of Jericho a beautiful Babylonian garment, the 200 shekels of silver, the wedge of gold and the, that weighed 50 shekels. I coveted them, he says. I saw, I coveted lust of the flesh. There's two of them. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. We got one left, right? Pride of life. I saw them, I coveted it, and I took it. Pride of life. Pride of life comes about when I know what's truth and I know what I've been taught, but yet I want to go against that and usurp God's authority and insert my own. Which is what Satan did when he fell. It was his pride that overcame him. He couldn't stand to stay where he was. But the lust of his flesh and the lust of his eyes. Became the pride of his life and he fell. Eve in the garden. The same thing. She saw. She knew that it. Boy and it, it's going to taste good. 
lust of flesh, lust of the eyes. And then he said, God is keeping this from you because he knows that in the day that you eat of that, you will be as smart as he is and you will be as God, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes leads to pride of life, which leads to disobedience. So Achan says, I saw it, I coveted it, and I took it. But what God tells us to do is to cut that stem off early. Don't let that get ingrained in us. James chapter 1 on this next slide. It says, blessed is the man, though, who endures temptation. When I, there is not sin in temptation. The Lord was tempted in every aspect like as we are yet without sin. The sin is not in the temptation or the enduring of it. The sin is when I partake of it and give in to that. Blessed is the man who can endure temptation unlike Achan did. For when you are approved, when you come through that temptation, you will receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised those to love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Why? Because we like to point fingers. First thing Adam said was, the woman that you gave to me. So it went back to God. Don't say that I was tempted of God because God cannot be tempted nor doth he tempt any man. But we, each one of us, it says, you, I, everyone in history, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by those desires and enticed. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Then, when those desires conceive, when you go ahead and do it, and you give over to that, it gives birth. When it says conceived, it gives birth to something. That gives birth to sin. The temptation was that that was just what was going behind in your mind. But then it comes to fruition. It's birth. And it gives birth to sin. And sin, if you allow sin to become full grown, in other words, you keep burying it under your tent, and you don't confess it to God to get forgiveness of that, when it gets full grown and too late, it leads forth to death. So, nap it off early. Try to endure the temptation. If I can't endure the temptation, take it to God in prayer and ask for the forgiveness. But if I refuse to do that and I say, I'm just going to keep on in it and I'm going to wallow and keep going, it grows and it grows and soon it'll bring forth death, just like it did with Achan and his family here. All of that leads together. So now... Back to Joshua 21. This is what was going on and being portrayed out the way the Lord's disciples have written it for us in the New Testament even. I saw the spoils, the beautiful garment, the silver, the gold. I coveted it. I took it. And he says, Joshua, I buried them. And they're hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent. So verse 22, Joshua sends messengers. And they run over to his tent where it was. And there, in the midst of the tent, when they started looking and taking the things apart, there it was. There was all of those things and even the silver hidden underneath of it. And they took all of those articles from the midst of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and the children of Israel. And they laid them out before who? The Lord. He already knew. He's been waiting on you to ask for forgiveness instead of having to wait for confession. At the end, when it's too late. So he says, 
there they are. They laid them out before the Lord. And who gets the glory because of the revelation of truth? The Lord. See, the Lord was right. And this goes ahead to tell us through faith that trust in the Lord and his discernments and his judgments and his word. So Joshua then and all of Israel with him, they took Achan. And by the way, a couple weeks ago, we said Achan's word name in the original language means trouble. So he was a troubler of Israel, we learned last week. So they took the troubler of Israel, the son of Zerah, and all of those garments and, and the, the gold and silver. They took his sons, his daughters, his oxen. Why? Because like we said, God's not initiating the sin of the fathers upon the children. It's when the sins of the fathers are condoned by the children and they partake part in it and allow it to go on in their life as well. They were all residing there and so all of them had to come forward. His sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, all that he had was brought to the valley of Achor. That's the noun of Achan. They were brought to the valley of trouble. And so they were brought to there, and Joshua said, Why have you achened us? Why have you troubled us? The Lord will now trouble you this day. Do you see the play on words? That's the same word all the way through there. His name, the valley, and the Lord saying that you've troubled us. The Lord will trouble you this day. So Israel stoned him with the stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned. Why? Because everything that's carom had to be destroyed and burnt just like Jericho was. And since they partook of that, they became that. So there was an exchange that went on in Jericho. Those who rejected God and his word like Achan became Karim just like Jericho did. But those who had been Jericho that received the word of God now became part of Israel. Rahab and her family was taken in. She married Salmon into the tribe of Judah. She replaced this family and she became the great, great grandmother of King David, which will make her the great, 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 great grandmother of Joseph, who was married to Mary, the mother of the Son of God. She, by faith, took the place. That's what we do now. We, we, we are taking the place because Christ died for us and we receive him, we now become a son. Those who reject that, even though they might have thought they were of that lineage, they get rejected because it's not about who you are and how you were born. It's about who you believe in. And so they were buried there that day and they raised, after they stoned and burned them, they raised a great heap of stones. Why? It's a memorial. It's a memorial so that they don't, they remember that, they see it, and no one does the same thing today. And that's why we teach this lesson, so that we know it, we see it, and we don't repeat those same things that they did. This is a memorial to us, and it is called the Valley of Acor to this very day. Whew. Now, is that a great story of God and the Word of God or what? Well, as our praise team comes on up and, and we end it for today, there were so many learning points that are in here. But what I want to do is to try to get all of you that are here today to come back next week with a friend. So I want to give you a Perry Mason snippet of things to come. Preview of coming attractions for next week, right? Didn't you always hate it when Batman would end right at the fight and it would say, same bat channel, same bat time next week. Remember that? I'd hate that. But now I love it because I'm like, Guess what's going to happen next week if you're there? Listen to this. It says, 
Next week, we're going to explain a little bit why not only Achan, but his family. We're going to learn what those items that they took, that Babylonian garment and the silver and gold, what they actually were and, rep and represent, and why that was part carom too. And then through today's lesson and next week, we're going to find out an underlying principle of truth that I always like to leave you with with Scripture is Romans 8.28, my favorite promise in the Word of God. All things we know is how it starts out, for we know. You should be assured and you should know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. So all things are going to end up working together for good. Even the defeat at Ai and even them turning their backs and running away is going to work to their favor next week. We're going to see how God takes cursing and turns it to blessing. That's what the Bible is all about. The cursing, the carom, is turned to blessing through Jesus Christ. And that's what this is all about. Next week, that's what we're going to talk about. This week, how about all the things that we just learned? How about the things that I do and decisions I make impacts a lot of people besides me, doesn't it? And how about if I don't bury those things? If I would just confess it before God that I don't have to end up facing the retribution. I don't have to remain caring for that, okay? I, I can be forgiven. The power of God to reveal truth, it's going to be revealed one way or another. So you might as well go ahead and ask and be forgiven. Boy, so many lessons. I hope you come back next week to see the rest of it. Father, as we humbly bow at this time, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this illustration. We pray that we make it ours, Father. That we believe it. That we will always remember it. That we will use these principles that you mean everything for good. That you can take those things and work it together for good for us. Even whenever I want to endure, but when I don't and I can't and I fall, I take it to you, and if I would but take it to you, the, your son bore that curse, and I'm forgiven. Why would anybody leave here this day wanting to stay as an accursed? But wouldn't you rather give your heart and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ? And the things that I do, I just let, he already bore them, so I let him bear them. I tell him, thank you for forgiveness. And I pray, Father, that, that we will strive to be your people and to do your will. And that we will learn that by doing that, we cursings are turned to blessings, defeats are turned into victory. And that our victory is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. And it's through his name we pray and ask for these blessings and this help in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.